Hello, and welcome to the Inspired Educator Podcast, where educators share insights to improve the educational experience. I'm your host, Dr. Yuling Lee. On today's episode, I'm speaking to Lara Ragpot. Lara is an associate professor with expertise in childhood development and special education. Her office just happens to be directly across from my own, so I'm always able to pop into her office if I ever have any questions about educational psychology or special education. In our conversation, we discuss math education, specifically math education for early learners. Lara describes how young children develop an understanding of math, especially as it ties to language and spatial awareness. She has many great teaching and learning suggestions based on her research to help children grow in their mathematical understanding. Hi, Lara, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Have you done research on that before? On math? On math and early cognition and all of that. Okay, so most of my research projects in South Africa were on early math development, and especially how language um, influences your understanding of math. So your understanding of language and how you understand math vocabulary specifically. Yeah. So words related to math and math concepts, how that influences your understanding of math. But also knowing how um, children before we thought children learn math when they go to school. Mm. Now we know that children by the age of three months okay. can already understand quantities. All right. So what does that look like for a three-month-year-old to, to understand quantities? Okay. So um, immediately, if you think in terms of quantity, you will think um, that a child can, for instance, say, oh, that's one or that's two or that's three. Mm-hmm. So you will say, of course, a, th- a three-month-old can't, can't speak yet. Mm-hmm. But what we know now is scientific, through scientific research, yeah. and especially um, in the neurosciences, is that they um, is that we have a certain part of our brain that accesses mathematical information, always lights up when when we access any any form of math. Yeah. So whether you drive in your car and you see um, a sign next to the road that tells you you need to go sixty kilometers an hour an hour, not. 30 or 50 or whatever, yeah. that part of your brain activates. Mm. And it's called the intraparietal sulcus okay. um, and actually the horizontal intraparietal sulcus. So it's just behind your ear, huh. kind of in the middle of your brain. Yeah, And um, it's what's interesting, it's also the area that is very closely related to number and time and space. Mm. These three areas sit together. Yeah. So it also helps us to understand that your understanding of time and space is very closely related to your understanding of number. Hmm. Okay, but I'm digressing. No, no, that's interesting. So, so children, um, what they know now is they actually put a little cap on a child's head that um, accesses which parts of the brain light up and is a- accessed, and um, give them a little pacifier that's linked to a respondent and um, check their eye dilation. Huh. So they have the researchers uh, use a stage in front of the child, Mm -hmm. just a small little stage, like a puppeteer stage. Mm. And they see one teddy bear being put on the stage and the hand leaving empty. And then another teddy bear comes in and a screen goes up. And then when the screen comes down, the child will expect that there's two teddy bears on the the stage. And if there's three or one, in other words, the incorrect number, 
um, then the child will show it a surprise response. Huh. So they, and they do the same with a bag. They'll put three toys in a bag and take one out. And then the child waits for the other two to come out. Yeah. Um, so they know now with various experiments like this, I'm not explaining it very well, but they, they understand now their children know the difference between the quantities one, two, and three. Hmm. And animals actually are the same. So this is something we share with animals. So huh. they call that an innate ability that you're born with. So yeah. it's your, your innate number knowledge. Okay. That's the one system. And the other one that's also an innate number knowledge system is that you know the difference between, or you know magnitude. So okay. you know the difference between a lot or a few. Mm. So if you can ask any one-year-old child, if you give them um, a choice between a whole bag full of M&Ms or yeah. two, they will choose the one with more. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to be able to count it to know what's more or what's fewer. Hmm. And this is something we also share with animals. So mm -hmm. for instance, a pride of lions will never attack another pride if there are more members in the other pride. Yeah. So they somehow have the way to gauge whether another pride has more more lions in than their pride. Huh. So we share these characteristics. Um, but then something happens with humans once we start talking. Okay. We actually move on to specific quantities that we can start understanding what four is, where animals don't always have a clear understanding of that. Hmm. So we start we start being able to count. So yeah. children, parents teach their children the number string, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. And lots of times children, especially if parents want to show you how bright their kids are, oh, count to 10, count, he can already count to 100. Mm -hmm. And they'll be so excited to show you <laughs> they can count to 100. Yeah. But it doesn't actually have any meaning for the child, you know. Mm. So they, if you ask them what's six, they won't be able to know, mm. to be able to tell you what six is, but they can count to 10. Yeah. But it's a very important step in understanding math later on. And we call it this number string. Okay. So you can sing the little rhyme. You don't have the meaning yet. But yeah. later on, when you learn, for instance, ordinal number concept on an on a ordinal line, yeah. you know that seven comes after six because you've learned the number string to count like that. So yeah. you will never say one, two, seven, six. You will say one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yes. So it does have its – it kind of works as a placeholder for later on. Hmm. So these are just incremental steps in in the way in which we learn math. Yeah. But it's very interesting to know that we're born with these two innate number systems yeah. already. And if you think of children at the age of two to three, they mm -hmm. have 700 neural connections per second. Wow. So their brains are just like little sponges. They mm. just want to work and fire, you know. And if you think before, we always thought – that you can't teach your child anything in terms of math when they are two mm -hmm. years old. You know, it's only later on when they go to school. But yeah. actually, it's from from very young age you huh. can start teaching them math. So you mentioned earlier, I guess this is an innate thing, but it's re also related to space and time. Is, is there indication for that, like spatial or temporal awareness when they're that young? Um, yes, they, they, and there are many scientists that do research in that now okay. and that also um, um, understand that children's idea of how they understand the world around them yeah. and time um, and and even their spatial recognition and spatial awareness yeah. of their body space huh. also has a huge influence on their understanding of specific quantities and number. And that's why it's so important just 
I know I'm taking a leap now, but <laughs> it's such an important thing for me to mention is that children's idea of counting is very related also to their own hands. Mm. So one, two, three, four, five, and, and children often calculate and count on their hands mm. and teachers often tell kids don't do that you know learn um learn the actual number symbols etc but children should be encouraged to count on their hands mm. because it's a it's it's something that's in terms of their own body space mm -hmm. and the spatial awareness it's um, very, very closely related to their understanding the concept of number yeah and quantities yeah that sounds very similar to um I'm by no means a math or a cognitive expert, but what's very popular in North America is, I think, Joe Bowler, Bowler with uh, mathematical mindsets and then bringing back this understanding of this bodily as well as fingers specifically as a way to... A way to understand yeah, number, yes. Yeah, because I do see that how my son is four and a half and... Um, if I were to just say numbers, it's this abstract you know, notion that he probably doesn't understand, but he needs fingers to to make sense of it. Um, so that's neat. Mm. The very first, one of the first steps, kind of like, it's, it's almost like a hierarchical growth in a hierarchy towards building mathematical concepts. Mm -hmm. And the very first one after these two innate systems that I mentioned is one-on-one um, -on -one correspondence. And okay. that's maybe something that you see with your son now is counting one specific object or something, a manipulative or something that that represents one number. Yeah. So the, they will, for instance, count out five candies, mm -hmm. one, two, three, four, five, and each one represents a number. Mm -hmm. And if you ask them, okay, let's eat one of the candies. How many do you have left? They mm -hmm. can't yet tell you I have four left. They yeah. have to count it from the beginning. Yeah. One, two, three, four. <laughs> yeah. Okay, let's eat another one. How many do you have left? One, two, three. And it's that one-on-one -on -one correspondence that's the very first step, mm -hmm. um, the next step in their understanding of um, also relating number words. Mm. So one means one thing, one object, and then later on relating that to the number symbol. Hmm. the actual symbol in which we write one. And for us as adults, we are in a different conceptual system where this makes sense. You can't really understand the forerunner system, the conceptual system in which the child's functioning in. But for them, it's almost like three languages. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's what I see, this yeah. object. Yes. Then the word, the number word. Yeah. And then a symbol is, again, a different representation, one or a two or a three. And I've often found that working with teachers is that they they really jump to using the symbols too quickly. Hmm. Children don't understand that we, we, we talk about it in, in math cognition about the sixness, sixness of six or the fiveness of five. Okay. They don't know what five is yet. Yeah. And, and they already have to work with symbols, five plus three written down. Yeah. You know, so, so it's too early that it's almost like a jump that skip over yeah. um, a connection that needs to be solidified. So it's so good in, in preschool for children to have objects and constantly, what does four look like? It can be four pencils, four candies, four mm. fingers. These are all four and mm -hmm. four is the same thing throughout. And once again, it's so, it sounds so simple to us, yeah. but for a child in the step of their math cognition and their understanding of mathematical concepts, it's a very important step to understand that four 
always stays the same. Doesn't yeah. matter if the objects change, the force stays the same yeah. and it will always be four things. Hmm. So does this only lead up to a certain point? Because clearly math cognition will become more complex as the person grows older. Um, yes. But I'm thinking especially, for instance, it sounds to me that there is an innate connection mathematically to, um, I don't know if you want to describe it as something you see or this object. And, and so I, I wonder, for instance, uh, like a Montessori type curriculum where it, it could potentially go into high school and yet they still have these manipulatives that they play mm. with, for lack of a better word. Mm. Um, and I wonder, it, would that be consistent? Would that be consistently helpful even as a child becomes progressively older or more mature with mathematical cognition? I think it depends um, where the child's understanding is um, of whatever concept they're working on in that that specific um, area. I okay. had a, um, a postgrad student, a master's student that does, did research with grade eight learners okay. that were really struggling with their mathematical cognition. So the students that he did his research with were in an, an independent school. Okay. And in the school, they streamed the maths, math classes. Mm. So the grade eight group that he worked with were really the students that typically struggled with their math. Um, mm -hmm. they, they were either failing or did really, really badly with their math in grade eight, their math understanding. And these were students that had consistently had extra math tutoring, um, consistently had the best teachers because it was quite an expensive in independent schools, mm. yet they were still still struggling with their math development and, and um, they had various barriers in the way. So where, the, where many of them were quite doing quite well in many of the other subjects, but just math, they seemed to have had this block. And his research looked at whether they had dyscalculia or were, were they dyscalculic, hmm. which is a form of, um, to put it plainly or simply, um, uh, almost like you have dyslexia, but with math. Okay. So there's a certain part of the population that just cannot do math. Hmm. So it's almost like you have this, you inhibited, you can't do mathematics. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to see that out of this, I don't know how many students, I forget now how many studied, who, who of them were really dyscalculic or were there something else? Mm. And when we actually test them on a kindergarten math test, math cognition test, we found that some of these hierarchical steps that need to be in place before a child starts math at school were actually not, have not, have not been solidified. Mm. And he took some of them back to manipulatives and worked with them on manipulatives mm. and it kind of, clicked other things in place to help them later on. And they, hmm. it turned out that only one out of the cohort that he assessed was truly dyscalculic. Okay. The others were really that they um, either they moved too fast through a certain understanding yeah. or they didn't use manipulatives enough. Huh. Um, I think people also overrate manipulatives. Okay. Um, and that always needs to be a balance. So you you spoke about um, is there a stage that you be move beyond or so. Yeah. So um, roughly speaking, what scientists, many of, of the researchers and scientists that work specifically with math cognition have um, almost agreed on is that there are five hierarchical steps that need to be in place for mm -hmm. you to be able to do math. So the first one was the one that I spoke about, the one-on-one the -on -one correspondence mm -hmm. that you count out numbers. The second one that follows onto that is this kind of ordinal number number concept. Do you understand that numbers are in a certain order? Mm. So six will never be before four. 
Um, nine will all, always follow eight. Mm -hmm. Once you get that understanding that there's a certain order in which numbers follow onto one another um, or each other, then it's a second step for you to in, in terms of using math and understanding math. Mm -hmm. And teachers often, this will be, be linked to in class where they show a number line in the front of the yeah. class from left to right and, and they usually have it displayed as well. Mm -hmm. And what we encourage is that when parents or, or teachers teach children um, the number line or ordinal number concept, mm. don't just do a left to right number. Also do a horizontal number. Mm. Uh, um, a vertical number mm -hmm. or a diagonal number. So let children climb a ladder. Well, not physically, but you can show them. Yeah. So numbers can also go one, two, three, four, five up. Yeah. Or it can down go down one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter the direction. It can go in a spiral one, two, three, four, five. Mm -hmm. Um, you can take a measuring tape and show a child on a measuring tape. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Mm -hmm. Now let's measure around the table it still follows in the same order around yeah. the table. And 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 once again, as adults in our adult mind, this sounds very simple, yeah. but for children to understand that something will go around or in a square, but three still stays between two and four, yeah. is quite a big jump in their conceptual understanding. Yeah. And this is something fun for parents to do with kids at home. Hmm. Then there's the third um, concept in which you will look at what is actually five? What, what does five represent? How can five be um, understood in terms of different manipulatives that you can use with the number five? But also five is made up of two and two and one. Mm -hmm. So things, so under five, they, all the other numbers that come before five or the quantities can fit into five. Yeah. And once again, I'm not explaining it very well, but no, this no, is this good. kind of understand understanding of what five represents and what else can represent five. Yeah. Okay. So so we talk about the cardinality of five. Okay. Okay. That's the third one. Okay. So we've got the one-on-one -on -one correspondence, ordinality of number, then cardinality, what yeah. five means. The next one is decomposability. Hmm. Okay. That's a Big word, long word, <laughs> decomposing, taking yeah. apart. So this is what teachers would typically teach children part, part, whole in school. Okay. So if I have seven, seven can be two and um, five, or it can be three and four, mm -hmm. or it can be two and two and one. Mm -hmm. These can all make up seven. So once children understand that, that numbers can be decomposed and mm -hmm. put together again, um, that kind of is the forerunner for fractions later mm -hmm. on. So you can understand that two over four can be one over two, can be four over eight. And so, so numbers can be decomposed and put together again. Yeah. Um, and quite a neat thing that parents can do to, to um, practice this with kids at home long before they enter math and fractions and whatever else at school is when you bake with them or you cook with them. Hmm. Um, we often have this idea, I have a pizza and I'll cut a pizza in half, two halves make the whole. Yeah. But also practice with them half of more than one. So if oh. I have four tomatoes, give me half of the tomatoes. Yeah. Or if there are six apples how or six Jelly beans give me half of the six. Mm. So that children also learn that half can be represented by more than one, mm. not only 
half of one specific specific thing. And teachers often teach children in kindergarten, they bring apples to school, let's cut apples in half Mm and quarters. But it's good to do that also with more than one. Hmm. Because that is later on easier for them then to understand fractions, as I said, that one over two is two over four, yeah. three over six, four over eight, yeah. etc. So that's the fourth one. Yep. And then the fifth one is relationality. Now that is slightly more conceptual, more a little bit more abstract, but that you can understand that if I have five, five is two more than three, but five is also two fewer than seven. Mm -hmm. So five has a relationship with the numbers that come before it and has a relationship with numbers that come after that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as I say, this is a bit more abstract. But what we found is that children, when they are younger, like grade one and two, they have this idea that if they count number, and it's called the snark effect, they believe that numbers are evenly placed at the um, when they are smaller numbers like one, two, three, four, five are evenly spaced. But as you count up higher, 29, 28, whatever, 20, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, that numbers become squashed closer mm. together. Okay. So they don't understand that there's equal distance mm. in the ordinal number, uh, the idea of numbers. So it's very difficult for a child to understand that between five and seven, there are two numbers difference or two spaces. Mm-hmm. The same as between 26 and 28, mm. it's two. So that's a very big concept for them to learn this relationality of numbers, mm. that numbers always have different relations and they are kind of fixed yeah. with one another. And that again, you know, um, I come from a school system, certainly in South Africa, where there's a big emphasis on counting. Mm. Children to count up to 100 and count backwards again, you know, and you get kind of kids sitting in class, 66, 67, blah, blah, yeah. and they count, <laughs> but they have no clue what it means, mm. you know, because they don't understand the relationship of numbers yeah so it's much more important to focus on the smaller numbers let children understand what they what they're learning mm-hmm. and then only go into to to doing um larger numbers in terms of subtraction and addition etc yeah so i feel in a nutshell that the curriculums move to move too fast okay um you you kind of gave some very practical examples already in terms of what we can do at home as parents with these young kids, but I, I guess I want to slow down <laughs> since that's what you're proposing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you have any general suggestions for parents or teachers as to what they can do with their kids as uh, who are trying to develop like, yeah, good practice mm-hmm. for developing a mathematical mindset, that type of thing? So when children are very young, it's very good to practice magnitude with them. Okay. This kind of idea of, what is more, what's fewer, you know, so so anything. It mm. was that sound louder or is it softer than mm-hmm. this one? You know, is he bigger? Is he smaller? Is this taller or is it shorter? It's that kind of idea of Piaget's conservation, yeah. but taking it a little bit further. Because if children can judge magnitude, yeah. um, it ha- 
also helps them a lot later on in mathematics. So mm. anything in terms of quantity and size, mm. you know, so is this heap of marbles more than that heap of marbles? And and try to bring the quantities closer together. Yeah. It's very easy to see the difference between two M&Ms and 20 M&Ms. Yeah. But when it's five and seven or five and eight M&Ms, when the quantities come closer together, it's a little bit more difficult to yeah. judge. So that kind of judgment, because later on mathematics has a lot to do with also your ability to judge and, and judge magnitude. Mm. So you will get children in class that do subtractive additions, um, for instance, problems where they will say um, 27 plus 64. Okay. And I've seen children that struggle with math okay. and they will, for instance, look at, they will say, now, they don't understand how they should break apart 27 and 64 and add it together in whatever way. So mm -hmm. they will say 2 and 7 is 9. Okay. And 6 and 4 is 10, 9 and 10. And they will try, they will actually. Wow. So because they don't understand how the numbers yeah. fit in certain order. So for a child, in other words, if they can understand magnitude and they can guess mm. more or less where a number should lie, they will know. 27 and 64 can never be 9 and 10 is 19 because obviously 27 and 64 are both larger than 19. So yeah. how can the two numbers added be yeah. 19? So if they could already learn to guess magnitude and guess kind of numbers earlier on, mm. that will show them, okay, obviously I did something wrong here if they don't understand any, any way else to judge it, yeah. you know? So... Okay, so practicing magnitude is very good. Great. Then the other thing is ordinality, as I said. Don't think it's bad now to teach them the number string. You know, mm. the more they know the number string accurately, the better it is later on to actually add meaning to those placeholders. Mm -hmm. So if I know 13, 14, 15, not um, 13, 12, 15, 14, then I know later on, to work with the numbers accurately. So mm. it's still good to practice the number string. Just mm. don't think your child knows what the numbers mean, you yeah. know, but it's still good <laughs> to practice the number string. Then the other thing is to work on math vocabulary. Mm. This is something I did. I was involved in quite a few projects where we worked with math vocabulary. And what I'm talking about there is the numbers we use to describe mathematical terms or quantities. Okay. So... Bigger, smaller, fewer, more, mm. larger, you know, um, because especially if we look at children that come into systems with second language learning of mathematics, mm -hmm. so, so lang um, they don't learn math in their, in their first language or in their mother tongue. Mm. We found that children struggle with understanding certain concepts assigned to math. So you will, for instance, show them a bowl of fish that have five big fish in them. Okay. And then a bowl of fish that has, say, 15 little fish in them. And if they if they struggle with language development or, or, or learning in a second language, math terms, and you say, which one has the most mm. fish in them? They will often point to the bigger fish. Yeah, I could see that. Because the language doesn't always translate the same. Yeah. So it's very good to practice math vocabulary with children. Mm -hmm. What's bigger? What's smaller? What's more? What's fewer? What does it mean if something's more? What mm. does it mean if it's bigger? Because a lot of our number word problems later on when children learn math at school mm. use these terms. 
bigger, smaller, subtract, take away, add on. Yeah. You know, so so practice those words with kids. Hmm. Circling back to this idea of this mathematical mathematic cognition along with tying closely to spatial temporal awareness would an increase i guess of understanding into whether it's space or time also help their understanding with math yes definitely and you also see children that struggle with with space and time tend to I don't want to use the struggle word or find it a little bit more difficult, mm-hmm. would find math, certain math concepts a little bit more difficult as well. Mm. And I certainly believe um, that is why many children struggle with with analog clocks huh. and reading clocks, you know, yeah. so also space and time, they don't. So 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 it's, it's also good to practice time concepts with your child, what mm. time means, you know, yeah. when is later, when, you know, that they start learning the sequencing of time. Yeah. Because sequencing is often used in math as well, yes. you know, so, so sequencing is very important. And then body movement, bodily movement, definitely. Um, because there are certain researchers like Mike Askew, um, he, for instance, talks about movement and mathematics. Mm. And he says mathematics is like a dance. Mm-hmm. So the better a child is able to move in space and understand their gross motor movements, mm. they understand math um, and math, math concepts better mm. because they understand the time and space around them better. Yeah. So how would what would uh, be... A- a movement exercise, I guess, for lack of a so better word. So I, I always, um, it's so fascinating once you start going into certain ideas of development. And okay. this is brings me to my other focus, which we're not going to talk about now, <laughs> but is me- media use and screen time for children. Okay. Um, that children become so sedentary mm. that they don't move their bodies like they used to anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, so so what I mean with that is we we are much more conscious about keeping our children safe these days. Mm-hmm. You know, they can't ride on a bike without certain safety equipment. Can't do anything without. Mm-hmm. We we as um, if I think I was more when I was small, we were just riding a bike. You fall off and you get on again and you ride. I'm not saying kids should fall, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it's much more focused on on putting so many things in place before a child moves, yeah. you know, and there needs to be certain programs and things. So kids become more sedentary. And of course, then media is just so much more interesting to watch a movie mm. and things, you know, so kids become more sedentary and then they don't use their gross motor development is not always optimal. Mm. So, so um, things in your body that would naturally move in space doesn't mm. maybe becomes a little bit more difficult. So for instance, something like midline crossing. So if your limb on the one side of your body can actually cross the center of your body to work on the other side. Hmm. Okay, so you'll do that with crossover movements, um, like for instance, touch your shoulder with your opposite hand, touch Mm. your knee with your opposite hand, ask your child to stand and at the back, touch the foot with the opposite hand. Mm. And you will see this is all midline crossing exercises. Mm-hmm. And midline crossing exercises, basically, um, in the olden days, people said, touch your ear with your other hand across your head. Oh, you're ready to go to school. It's like, it's a certain developmental age mm. where you can cross over the midline and think. And it 
I'm not going to go into that now, but it actually has a huge influence on spelling mm. and on writing as well. You can see that in class when children, instead of sitting with a book in front of them and writing and their hand actually crosses the midline of the page, mm. they tend to put the book on the one side and mm -hmm. and had writes on the side of the body on with the hand that either right or left with which I write. Mm -hmm. So getting children more active and out in the park, yeah. let them ride bike, let them do crossover movements. Um, something which I haven't encountered yet here, um, which is a wonderful sport, but you can supplement it with something else, is a swing ball machine and uh, um, a swing ball. It is a, basically a tennis ball that's okay. attached to a, a string. Oh, we call it tether around, ball here. Yes, yeah. and, and, and you hit it because you have to do... Yeah front hand and backhand okay. that is nice tennis very good because mm. you cross over back and front across your body table tennis the same mm -hmm. and these kind of movements many people are doing research in it and there are wonderful um you know results on what they show is that all of these movements gear our bodies into thinking differently and wire our brains because mm. the more active you are in terms of your bodily movements, mm -hmm. the more neurons are firing. Mm. And what what research shows, you can see that on, you can just Google it, is that after the age of 13, 14, some people say 11, neural pruning starts happening. Mm. So the neural circuits that you're not using and continuously using the neural pathways, the brain actually starts pruning them. Mm. You know, like you'll prune a tree. Yeah. You can always, there's brain plasticity, you can always build things. But I can, any adult that's listening that knows if they would start studying or doing a course <laughs> after quite a few years yeah. of not doing it, how difficult it is to get into it again. Mm -hmm. Whereas children under the age of 11, they are just so open to learning. So this is really the optimal age to grow mm. all these things, hmm. you know, and to grow your body movement and your understanding of space and body around you in terms yeah. of, of your understanding of the world around you as well. Yeah. It just makes you more connected. Yeah. My, my son um, is four and a half, so that's why I'm very much interested in this topic. But I, I learned early on he really loves mazes. So he loves to like figure out how to go from the start to the end. And then now, um, speaking of screen time, um, we started to play this game, Pokemon Go. I don't know if you've seen it before. Mm, yes, but basically, you look at a map and they're, they're kind of routes, right? Like they're roads and stuff. And then you walk through them to go and capture these creatures, these Pokemon. And so that's our daily activity now. We go outside, we go to the park and we, we do all that. But he just has to walk around and figure out the optimal routes to catch this Pokemon creature. I guess what would be helpful for me is in light of all this, particular to my son, I'm just trying to wonder what other ways to really help him start thinking about um, math, whether it's like through a bodily way or a, a temporal way. Well, now that you're mentioning mazes and, and this kind of trial and error, I've just recently read a paper where um, neuroscientists again did some research on mathematical thinking and development. Okay. And um, they said that children actually learn more mm -hmm. math 
if they make mistakes while they're doing number problems and mm. um, they engage more, their brain engages more than when they just would get something correct. Yeah. So a maze is a wonderful way of doing that because you constantly have to also um, get to a certain point, kind of plan ahead. What's the best route to take? Mm -hmm. Retract. Oh no, this is not the, and it, and it teaches children this kind of trial and error learning mm. that they don't. And this brings us to executive functioning, yeah. you know, that they, I don't just give up. It's this cognitive flexibility. Okay, this is not working. Let me try something else. This is working. Yeah. And it's not and you don't have to do it correctly the first time. Yeah. You can alter your route and try a different route. Yeah. And this is um very, very good for children in terms of of, of learning math later on. Okay. Because they, they can actually see, okay, they are different. I used to tell my kids different plans. You don't know if only have to make one plan to mm. solve this. Let's see what's a different plan you can make and don't just give up after the first time mm -hmm. so mazes is a really good way to practice mm. that good to know <laughs> and and um and it you know there's a lot about screen time and media use and technology i think trying to say you're going to keep your child away from this is just impossible <laughs> yeah you know there's actually um a colleague of mine that i know that did research on on how many screens children are exposed to just walking with your child in mm -hmm. a stroller in a mall mm -hmm. And screens are coming at you, whether you, you'll have to go really go and live in the wilderness, Captain Fantastic style, yeah, yeah. if you want to keep your kids totally away from any screens, yeah. you know, um, parents are on screens more. And I, I actually want to take photos of it every time I see it, parents sitting on screens and kids kind of just staring into space, yeah. don't know what to do. Even in the park, I was walking in Aldergrove oh, yeah. Park the <laughs> other day and the, the child was walking next to the dad and they out walking in the park to get some fresh air and the dad's on his phone and the child is kind of walking next to him. Okay, what should I do now? Yeah. You know, instead of using that time to engage and talk about nature and okay. Yeah. Anyway, but I think we can't get away from the fact that screens are part of our children's lives and media use yeah. is part of their lives, you know? Yeah. So, so also use what you can mm -hmm. to use it. The thing is just always use it in balance. So for every hour on screen, supplement it with two hours of free play, mm -hmm. either outside, puzzle, blocks, mm. something three-dimensional mm. as opposed to a flat screen, never screens an hour or two before bedtime, mm -hmm. never blue screens, you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. And it's always shocking to me um, how many parents think that it's amazing, uh, certainly the society where I came from, you were seen as privileged if you had a TV in your room, mm -hmm. in your bedroom. Mm -hmm. So how many children would fall asleep watching movies, you yeah. know, and it, parents kind of keep it as a babysitter and, and, and you don't understand the impact on that brain two, three hours after the child's falling asleep. They're still busy with the content that they've seen, Yeah, you know, and, and surely teachers can attest to it that how difficult it is to keep children's um, attention. Yeah. You know, you have to really perform in class to get them to focus on you. And it's just because they're so used to this overstimulation of yeah. so many modalities of in incoming information. Yeah. You know, your ears, your eyes, flashing colors and, and which teacher can um, compete with the screen. You, <laughs> yeah. know? you mentioned a, a word, um, free play. I, I don't know if you have any suggestions as to um, what you can do in free play with your child to help, especially uh, in terms of mathematics. Um, like for instance, I, I have blocks, I have Lego. Um, I'm just wondering, are there any other 
tools or or toys even or even just activities that would be especially helpful i think what we do more and more these days well i say we we um researchers that are research uh, going into a kind of a steam and a stem stream <laughs> yeah sees how closely math and sciences um actually are the two are linked mm -hmm. and i and th there are all these wonderful experiments that you can do with your kids mm. I, i'm sure everyone's seen it on every now and again on on youtube or on facebook you get these experiments mm. that you can do with your children and kind of get them engaged to see how interesting it is but also get them to predict Hmm. What do you think is going to happen if we throw this and this together, you okay. know, or if we do this, how far do you think it will measure hmm. um, if we take this piece of string or so, you know, that ki those kind of predictions are very good to make because yeah. if you think probability later on when, when learning mathematics, a lot, oh, yeah. of, a lot of children struggle with probability and, and, and this comes again back to the first innate system. Can <laughs> I, can I guess, can I guess which one's larger, which one's smaller yeah. magnitude? You see how they fit all together. Yeah, going yeah. into probability but it's really fun to do that kind of um, science experiments with them okay okay it also helps them um, in terms of of understanding their world and science concepts and and it also keeps the parents on their toes that they have to understand <laughs> why this happens and that happens you know yeah. um, I know my daughter asked me once why the moon is yellow and I had to go and look up I knew it was something to do with the light but sure. I didn't know <laughs> when why exactly <laughs> <laughs> so it's 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 nice to to keep things in nature mm. and also work in nature. When you walk with children, you know, in the park, it's a wonderful place. They, there's actually a whole branch of, of um, neuroscientific research in mathematics that focuses on natural objects mm. and says that we should use natural objects such as stones and leaves and 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 trees and, and so to teach children mathematics because they say we've been wired, you know, Mm. through through our development um in being more in tune with the natural world mm. so it comes more naturally to us okay. to learn to learn concepts so you don't always have to go buy all the fancy block blocks yeah. or the maths kits or whatever you know just use the, the the space around you yeah my son did go through a phase um where he would collect different rocks so and, and he still does it on occasion. So I, I think that would be an interesting teachable moment. <laughs> yes, to say yeah. which one's bigger, which one's smaller, and then which one's heavier. Yeah, yeah. Which one can you throw higher? And mm. then the next one. How do you know you threw that one higher or further? Mm. Let's measure how many how many steps mm. is this one? How many, how much further is that one? Mm -hmm. You know, so 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 use use. And, and it's in the moment and like you say it's teachable moments right yeah. that, that you know and he's interested in it's much more as oh we're going to do these five exercises <laughs> yes. this afternoon to practice no. this just use it in the moment yeah. you know and there's a really interesting um well the certainly the society that i came from in south africa we often try to see how we can make things as accessible as cheaply as possible to mm -hmm. the population and um that people don't spend money but i also think there are so many things around one that one can use that you don't have to go buy these expensive online programs mm. to teach you mathematics or so and and there um there's a neuroscientist butterworth i forget now who's the person that did it with him um they have a website and it's they developed a little game for kids to teach them basic number concept mm. and it's for free mm. you can download it for free and it's called thenumberrace.com. Okay. All one word. Okay, the, like the, 
number and race, like mm. you're running a race, the numberrace.com. And it's very nice. You can download it on your comp- on your screen in your child and it teaches them one-on-one correspondence and basic number concept. Mm. Um, and 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 it's what I like about it. It's well researched. It's mm. got neuroscience behind it. It's not just some gimmick that somebody developed. So, yeah. um, so, so I think use screens and use the computer. But as I said, just balance the two. One yeah. one to two is usually the ratio that people suggest. One hour on screen, or half an hour on screen. One hour free play. Yeah. So one to two, and free play as I said, blocks puzzles. Very, very good. Mm. Any three-dimensional objects children can build. Mm. And um, with something like Lego, not necessarily something that you build that becomes a plane, Mm -hmm. you know, but the free blocks that the child also has to use their imagination Mm -hmm. on building and understanding that these three small blocks are equal to the bigger block. Yeah. You know, that that all those things are small incremental steps in that you don't even incidental learning while you're doing it, that you don't even realize. Cool. I guess the last question I have would be, say, if if a parent finds himself with an older child struggling with math, um, would you suggest going back to this basic fundamental correspondence and, and building up? Or I, I don't know any other suggestions that you may have. I think it's always good. Um, what I found sometimes, there are so many, some multitude of math programs. And it depends how far along the child is, you know, in which grade. But it's always good to go and see what were the basic building blocks and test this with the child. You can quickly see, you know, maybe they do understand basic, basic concepts, but maybe it's as far back as not understanding what's bigger and what's smaller in a certain way that already so it's it's almost like building a wall. You leave a brick here, mm. you leave a brick there, you leave a brick there. By the time you ceiling height, all of a sudden the the wall starts cracking, yeah. you know. But sometimes you have to go right down to foundational level. But it can be one little brick, and if you put it in place, it 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 mm. um, makes the wall more sturdy, you mm. know. So um, so my I always suggest in going back in a program and looking. There are so many programs out there. I don't want to name them by name now, but really assesses the child from a basic level. So go through the levels and see where the child is lying, you know, or even ask a teacher from a previous grade or two grades back. Uh, Can I have some exercises? You can check it up online as well, you know. So if a child's grade three, let me go and look at basic grade one exercises Mm. online. Let me practice basic subtraction and addition and and multiplication and see if a child understands the relationship between addition and multiplication because mm-hmm. there's a huge relationship there. You mm-hmm. know, if I add two and two and two, it's three twos, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of multiplication. Do that, get that basic concept mm-hmm. because yet late, again, later on, everything is built on that. If you learn long div- division, it's mm-hmm. based on your understanding of multiplication, based mm-hmm. on your understanding of addition. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> addition is based on your understanding of relationality on one-on-one correspondence, you yeah. know, so it all reverts back, back, back. Okay, great. Don't That's, know if that helps. No, no, that helps. That's good to know, um, especially if my children are not achieving at the level that I wish them to <laughs> mathematically. Oh, I still count one-on-one correspondence sometimes, so I think we all go back. <laughs> and especially if, you, if you're if a second language speaker, as I am with English, yeah. um, it's just an interesting fact. You, um, If there are some people listening Think of the language that you learned math in 
yeah. that you learned counting in. My husband's French. So whenever he counts out something or he does, yeah. he will always revert back to French. Yeah. I will always, when I do, I, okay, I do a lot of math and English later on, but I will re always revert back to Afrikaans, which is my first language. Yeah. And yeah. that makes a huge difference because, and just keep that in mind when you're a teacher of children coming into your grade one class mm. and they maybe their first language is not English. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're teaching them, they have to translate, get to the answer, translate and respond back. So they're doing two operations for every or four operations for yeah. every one that the, the English or two that the English language speaker is doing. Yeah. So just be a little bit more patient and practice in those words and make sure that the kids that are, are sitting with you, do they understand the basic math vocab? Yeah. You know, and, and we can always give a list of that in future somewhere, you know, and, and say, practice these specific words with children, mm -hmm. um, basic math vocabulary, because that helps a lot. Yeah. Well, thank you. I think that's about it. A special thank you to Lara Ragpot for an amazing conversation. This episode is brought to you by SOED, the School of Education at Trinity Western University. Until next time, may you be inspired in your educational journey.